I wonder if anyone's ever asked you a question that you weren't expecting. A question that was maybe difficult to answer, but you knew that the answer would be really important. <clears throat> Has that ever happened to you? A really important question. I had such a question asked of me about 16 months ago. I was driving along in the car. My daughter, my oldest daughter, Jess, was next to me. And suddenly, out of the blue, she turned to me and she said, what would you think if I married Tom? I knew at that moment that that was a really important question, you know, when it comes and you think, oh my goodness. And um, I thought, this is really important. The answer to this could be life-changing. It's quite momentous. And um, so I have to say that the, that the the conversation that followed was a bit of a blur, is a bit of a blur now, because on the one hand, I was having this conversation with her, and on the other in my head, I was having this conversation, and I was thinking, oh my goodness, am I getting this right? This feels really important. It feels really awkward. Are, is, are they about to announce something? You know how it is when you're having one conversation and another entirely different one in your head. And... Um, that's how it was. <clears throat> I'm not great at having things sprung on me, I have to say, especially when I know that it feels like something that's quite momentous. On the plus side, at least I knew that it was important to her what I thought. And the other thing was that it did give me 16 months to prepare for the question that came to us both on the 2nd of January from Tom, would you be willing to give us your blessing if I asked Jess to marry me. So I had lots of preparation for that one, which was I was very, very thankful for. And if you were here last week, you will know, because Mark shared it all very excitedly, um, <coughs> that Jess and Tom are getting married in August this, this year. <coughs> so, unexpected questions. I'm not great with them. In our reading, the disciples had a similar experience with an unexpected question. And I think it was one that probably felt quite important to them as well. Our reading comes at a point in Mark's Gospel. Sorry, I'm really, really. No, I've got a drink. Thank you. It's got a frog in my throat. Just bear with me. <laughs> so. The reading comes at a point in Mark's Gospel where things are beginning to change for Jesus. It's a kind of turning point because from here on, everything is pointing towards the cross, towards Jesus fulfilling the reason why he's come to earth. Jesus now begins to reveal to his disciples who he really is and where he's headed. In other words, that he's headed to Jerusalem and to death on the cross. And if you want to follow this, just can I just remind you, it's from Mark 8, 27 to 30. You might just want to have it in front of you, maybe on your phone, or you can grab a Bible at the back. So this is a turning point in the middle of Mark's gospel. And um, the little few verses that Lucy read to us, Jesus and his disciples are on their way to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And all of a sudden, Jesus decides that this will be a good time to start teaching his disciples all about himself. And like all good teachers, he starts with a probing question. Who do people say that I am? I don't know why Jesus starts in this way. Maybe he wants to kind of ease them in. I think that saying what other people think 
is often saying easier than saying what we think. Do you find that? Sometimes easier. Or oh, such and such thinks this. It's maybe easier than saying what we think. And the disciples do actually find it fairly easy to come up with some answers. Well, who do they say you are? Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others say you're one of the prophets. But Jesus is none of these. And he needs to know that the disciples realize that. So he probes a little bit further. And who do you say I am? This is a bit more challenging, isn't it? So far, the disciples have only called him teacher, even though they have asked themselves the question, who is this? Do you remember in the stilling of the storm, when the the, the wind and the waves obeyed him, and they said, wow, who is this? So they have asked themselves that. They have begun to wonder who he is. But up to now, they've only called him teacher. So Jesus asks, who do you say I am? And Peter, as usual, is quick to speak up. It's always Peter, isn't it? You're the Christ, he says. Peter must be full of faith at this moment because it's not actually obvious to anyone that Jesus was the Christ, that Jesus was the Messiah. People had been expecting a Messiah, but it was a Messiah who would be a king, someone to deliver Israel from her enemies. Jesus had kind of fed and healed some people, but wasn't exactly a kingly role. Maybe, though, Peter's caught wind of something, having heard Jesus preach about the kingdom of God. That might be where he's got the idea that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Actually, though, Peter is right, isn't he? Jesus is the Christ. And it's strange that Jesus doesn't praise him for what he said. Instead, Jesus tells him to keep quiet and to tell no one. I wonder why he does that. Maybe because he knows that Peter hasn't really understood what kind of a Messiah he will be. In other words, one that must suffer and must die. Maybe that was why, and he didn't want Peter kind of going off and spreading wrong information like I imagine Peter could have had a bit of a propensity to do. A few verses later, Jesus explains it to them. He explains to them that he will be a suffering Messiah. And Peter's response shows that he hadn't really understood. No, he says, you can't possibly be a suffering Messiah. Messiahs don't suffer, he says. He has his own human ideas about what's fit for a Messiah. And they're obviously not in line with God's plan. So he hasn't really completely understood who Jesus is at this point. And the truth is that the disciples will never truly know Jesus unless they can accept and grasp that Jesus must suffer and die. And nor can they truly be his disciples unless they too are willing to suffer and even give up their lives for his sake. There was so much that they didn't understand. I guess they couldn't really. You know, there was so much they just didn't know. Um, And and so it's very natural that they didn't understand. But what about us? What about we who have the benefit of hindsight? If we were asked that same question that the disciples were asked by Jesus, who do you say I am? If someone was to ask us, who is Jesus? What would we say, I wonder? Some people on the street were asked this question. Here's what some said. Just have a look at this clip for 30 seconds. Um, 
Um, uh, um, I don't know. Uh, uh, Whoa. God, what a question. He was born on Christmas Day. Yeah. He was probably a guy who was quite groovy like Gandhi many, many years ago and did some carpentry and was probably quite a nice bloke. I think that uh, he's a man with uh, long hair and... Uh, and uh, <laughs> he's got some. Yeah, true. I guess people on the street wouldn't necessarily know, and they'd probably be dying if they could see this being spread everywhere, wouldn't they? They wouldn't know, but what about us? We who, we who most of us, I imagine, in here are, uh, are full of faith, we're, we're Christians, we're believers, most of us, maybe not all. What about us? What if someone came to you and said to you, I've heard you're a Christian, so who is this Jesus that you follow? I want us to think about two things. Firstly, would we have an answer? And secondly, what would our answer be? Peter had an answer, and he offered it boldly. You're the Christ, he said. I wonder if I'd have an answer. I wonder if you would. How willing are we, I wonder, you and I, to stand up for what we believe, to be honest about what we believe, to maybe risk loss of face or even some rejection? for the sake of our faith. Some people, I think, find it easier than others to stand up for their faith. It might depend a little bit on how much it matters what other people think of us. If you've ever taken one of those psychometric tests, you'll know that they reveal that some people are task-focused and others tend to be more people-focused. So put simply, some people tend to focus on getting a task done and others are more focused on the relationship of the person that they're working with. Some people don't really prioritize the relationship. They're more task-focused. Others, for them, it's really important that their relationships are healthy and, and, and whole. So if you're more people-focused, you might find it harder to talk about your faith for fear of being rejected. Being liked, being in harmony with others, for you may be more important than the task in hand. But if you're more task-focused, you might find sharing your faith easier than others because you're actually less concerned about pleasing people. I wonder if you know whether you're more task-focused or people-focused. Maybe that's something to think about. But you know, whatever your personality, there is always a cost to making our faith known. For Mark's first readers, the readers of that, that Gospel of Mark, for them, they faced the prospect of death, actually, for being a Christian. Most Christians today don't live with that physical danger. Some do, don't they, in some countries. But at the moment, most Christians don't live with that physical danger. But you could argue that if your faith costs you nothing, it may not actually be worth very much. And I think that's what Jesus was meaning when later in the chapter he said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's costly to be a Christian. It's costly to have faith. And I wonder, are we willing to take up our cross and speak for Jesus? Will we have an answer? And then secondly, what will your answer be? 
Will it be an answer that's thought through and explains to your listener what you believe, I wonder? It's challenging, isn't it, this? It's really challenging. I find it challenging. Peter's answer was lacking in understanding, and it elicited actually a rebuke from Jesus. He didn't really understand, and really nor could he. But what about us? In 1 Peter 3, 15, he says this, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. I'm going to read that again. 1 Peter 3:15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. It's interesting, the assumption seems to be in that verse that we will be asked. We will be asked about our faith. People will ask us, and I think they will, especially if we lead a life that's a bit different from most other people. And hopefully we will lead a life that's a bit different. So we will be asked, and we need to be prepared. So how can we be prepared to share our faith? Well, J. John, the evangelist, who I'm sure lots of you know, he shares or suggests a three-part plan to how we might go about sharing our faith. He's, he wrote a, a book called, um, it was called Breaking News. It's just a study guide, and we, we studied it actually a long time ago in our Connect group. And um, it, was, it was a very, very helpful little sort of guide to sharing faith. So he suggests a three-part plan. He says we can start off, when someone asks us, we can start off by explaining God's story. Then we can go on and we can tell our story. And then finally, we can link it all with the person's story, the person who's asked us the question. So first of all, his story, the story of God from the beginning of creation through to the death and resurrection of Jesus. We can talk about that. We can explain it if we, if we truly understand it. We can sum up the gospel in four simple steps which can help to communicate the message clearly and succinctly. And it just goes like this. First of all, God formed us. In the book of Genesis, we read, don't we? God created man in his own image, and it was very good. God, the creator, formed us, the crown and pinnacle of his creation, in his likeness. That's how it was at the beginning when God first made human beings. So he formed us, and then next, sin deformed us. God's good creation, as we know, didn't stay that way for very long. And in Genesis 3, we read the story of sin coming into the world. Adam and Eve, we're told, were given permission to eat from any tree in the garden except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we know as we read on that they chose to obey. And what happened was that sin contaminated the world, a bit like a kind of virus on a computer, I guess, how it brings disorder and chaos. And that's what happened when sin came into the world. And as a result, Adam and Eve were excluded from the garden and they suffered the consequences, which was separation from God. And and we live with those consequences today in our natural state. So God formed us, sin deformed us, but Christ transforms us. Then came God's great act of rescue, the cross. 
The name Jesus, I didn't know this actually, but the name Jesus literally means God saves. And God has delivered us from disorder and death through Christ's blood shed on the cross. His resurrection from the dead and subsequent ascension into heaven declares his victory over sin and death. So Christ transforms us from that sinful state. And then finally, Scripture informs us. It says in John 1 verse 12, To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so to decide to become a Christian is firstly to believe, as that, as that says, in, in Jesus Christ and his message, repenting of our sin and placing our trust in him. Secondly, to receive Jesus Christ into our life by God's Holy Spirit. And then finally, to follow Jesus in every area of our life because we're now part of his new creation and we belong to his new family. So four very simple little pegs, actually, that you could hang that explanation of the gospel onto. God formed us, sin deformed us, Christ transforms us, and scripture informs us. That's God's story. And then, we don't have to just stick with God's story. When you share that, you can move to your story. Because everyone loves a personal story, don't they? Stories are accessible, they're genuine, and often actually it's in a talk, it's the stories that people tend to remember. They tell of God at work in real lives. And you know, you might think, well, I'm not really a theology expert. How can I, how can I possibly start to tell somebody about, you know, about the, the gospel? I think I'd need to bring them to church and you know, introduce them to Mark or Chris or someone who knows so much more about it. Maybe you've, maybe you've thought that sometimes. If only I could get this person to church, then I think you know, maybe they'd become a Christian. Because we don't, lots of us, we don't feel like theology experts, do we? But you know, when it comes to your own personal story, you are the expert. And you know what? It's really difficult to disagree with someone who's telling their own personal story. Really, really difficult. So practice telling your story. Just like Paul did when he wrote to the Galatians, he talked about what had happened to him. You can do the same. You can, you can talk about your life before you were a Christian. Your how, and then you can talk about how you encountered Christ. And then you can talk about what difference it's made. What's been the transformation since you made that leap of faith? You can include all those little steps, and that will just bring it alive to that person that you're sharing, sharing your faith with. It's very, very simple. And you know, your story might not be as dramatic as Paul's. He had an amazing story to tell, didn't he? And I think sometimes we can read that story. I know I can. And I can think, oh, golly, you know, my story of faith isn't nearly as exciting as that. And, and even, you know, people that we meet, testimonies we hear sometimes, don't we? And we think, gosh, that's amazing. I'd love to have a testimony like that. But, you know, your story might not be that dramatic, but you will have significant things along the way that you can talk about. You will have times in your life when God's really impacted and, and, and entered and changed things for you. So think of those. Bring them to mind and, and, and just prepare to tell your story of what it's meant to you being a Christian, your journey of faith. And I think if you, if you practice it and you prepare for it, you can really include the things that are important and, um, and, and you can make it very real and honest. So I encourage you to do that. And then once you've shared your own story, you can link the whole thing 
with their story. Why have they come to talk to you? Why have they asked you about your faith? What was it that was behind their question? You know, often people ask us about our faith because they have a need. And we can respond to that need by first sharing the gospel, then sharing our own story, and then we can relate their story to whatever it is that they're looking for. What's their need? Why are they looking for faith? What, what, what is it? What's their issue? Maybe they're anxious. Maybe they've got some financial problem. Maybe they're just, maybe they're just lacking in peace. Maybe they're constantly worried. God is the bringer of peace. He has peace that passes understanding. Whatever it is that they're coming to us with, we can connect it for them. We can link it. We can say, you know, I think I know someone who can really help you with that. Will you let me? Would you, would you mind if I just told you a little bit? And, and if it links with their need, then, then that will mean so much more to them. I've led some people to Jesus in my life. Not hundreds, but I've led some. I've prayed with them to become a Christian. And I would say that mostly it happens quite unexpectedly. And you don't have lots of time to prepare, unfortunately, because it's quite nice to prepare, isn't it, sometimes? But when people ask us, it's often sprung on us, and we're not prepared for it. I remember relaxing over coffee in my kitchen with a young teenager one day. I won't tell you her name in case she listens to the podcast. But I remember we were just having a nice coffee, just sitting, chilling, and chatting. And out of the blue, she suddenly said to me, Lindsay, can you explain to me what it is to be a Christian? I wasn't expecting it. I really wasn't. And I I mean, I suppose in a way it was a bit of a gift because, you know, it's lovely to be asked that, isn't it? And have a chance to share what our faith means to us. But it did take me by surprise, I have to say. And I was really glad to have a bit of a sort of map or a few pegs to hang things on, to think, have I covered this? Have I covered that? You know, actually, what does my faith mean? What does it actually mean to be a Christian? And I was really glad to be able, hopefully, quite clearly, to explain it to her. And I then had the joy of leading her to Jesus as she made her commitment there in my kitchen. I didn't say, oh, come to Alpha or come to church. I just prayed with her there and then. Um, And there's lots of time afterwards, isn't there, to go to Alpha or you know, to find out more. Just because you make that commitment on, on that first day, it doesn't mean that you're su- everything's suddenly packaged up nice and neatly. So I really encourage you to get prepared and to be ready to share the gospel, maybe with a friend. It might be a fellow traveler on, a, on an aeroplane or on a train. You get chatting, and then you have the chance to share. Maybe one of your children asks you, what does it mean, Mom? What does it mean, Dad? What does it really mean to be a Christian? They may have, you know, been through the children's groups but not really have grasped it. Or it might be somebody in your extended family. It could be anybody at all. And I encourage you to be prepared. As I finish, I want to say this. I'm aware that maybe you're a visitor here this morning and maybe, maybe this is even the first time that you've ever come to church. And and you, you might be sitting there thinking, actually, I don't have a story of God in my life. I don't have a personal story, and I'm not sure that I really understood everything that was being said, but I'd really like to. I'd like to understand more about the Christian faith and what it's really about. 
If that's you, if you're sitting there thinking, actually, this is all a blur, and I would really like to know more, then please, please don't leave today without at least talking to somebody or maybe even coming up for prayer. And you might even want to make a commitment to Jesus for the very first time in your life. I don't know. Maybe you'd like to find out more first, and if, if that's the case, then we just heard, didn't we, that Alpha is starting on the 23rd of January. That's a wonderful course that gives you the chance to ask all the questions that you ever wanted to ask, and an opportunity at some point on the course to make that commitment. So I'm going to stop there, but I'm going to ask us to stand.